Good morning. How are we doing this morning? If you're a guest, we are so glad you're hanging out with us. My name is Mike. I am one of the elders, and I am normally the guy who stands up here and has the honor to uh, preach from the scriptures to you, to open the scriptures and, and share with you. And uh, uh, I'm up here today as a pinch hitter, believe it or not. Uh, I was supposed to have a week off, but uh, one of our elders who was going to preach today, they had a little bit of illness in the family, and so uh, we're, I got to thinking, what could we do? And one of the things that I had thought about doing as we mapped out Acts was to pause and talk about this importance of baptism. So we're going to do that this morning, knowing that we have uh, that scheduled next week, and so uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. We want to make it a big deal here, and so I just thought we, we could talk about that from the book of Acts. Um, now, as a church, this goes along with the fact by the way, I'm, I'm hearing a, I'm sorry guys, I'm hearing a really bad rumbling. All right, there we go. Is that better? Maybe I'm the only person who heard it, but it's like this deep bass voice speaking to me. Uh, <clears throat> we as a church love to be involved in the mission of God, that God is a God who, who um, sent his son in the world on mission and then he saved us and he didn't save us so we could sit around and do nothing. He saved us to be involved in things he does. Uh, that, that he does in the world. This includes sharing the gospel with people. It includes loving the poor and broken. And so we've always been a, a church that loved to be a part of that. And every once in a while, uh, we have opportunities. And so I got a phone call this week that, asking me if I would take an opportunity to go down and help with a food pantry in South St. Louis City. And uh, as the person was describing, he said, hey, you're going to pick up a person, then meet another person, uh, and you're going to go there. And I said, hey, do you mind if I take my son on this? They were like, no, that's fine. And so I grabbed my son, Josiah. We went down uh, downtown to pick up this person, then drove to, and we spent uh, like two hours yesterday working in this food pantry, serving Jesus for the glory of God. Uh, I want to show you who we did this with yesterday. <clears throat> if you're not aware, the guy on the right is somebody who people in St. Louis know. That, that, that would be uh, Adam Wainwright to the right there. The guy on the left is Jose Trevino. He is the all-star catcher for the New York Yankees. We're the bad guys this weekend, but the Cardinals are taking care of business, so that's okay. Uh, we, we had the honor of going down and picking up Jose at his hotel, meeting Adam. Uh, this was in partnership with one of our networks. Uh, we, we give through um, Send uh, North America and through Plant Midwest, which is like uh, Baptist networks here in St. Louis. And we were representing them yesterday, and we went down and worked with this man who's, who's there on the uh, your, let's see, the left of, of Wayno there uh, is the guy who runs the food pantry, and we got to do this. And so uh, it was fun. We got a picture. So, so there's Josiah and us with them, and then uh, there's Josiah standing with Adam there. Uh, I can tell you that the, the beauty of being there is I don't know how much you know about, about like the St. Louis Cardinals and all that kind of stuff, and I'm not here to glorify a person, although we had fun. I'm going to be honest, okay? <laughs> we had a good time. We spent two hours just chit-chatting, and he, he just talked. He told us his faith story about how he came to Jesus when he was in his 20s. He told us some really cool stories about Bible studies with the guys in the locker room and how, how his, like, his faith is just a beautiful thing and it, it shines through in St. Louis. He's got an organization that he started called Big League Impact that is using followers of Jesus who are big league ball players to make a difference in the world. And so this was kind of in connection with that. Um, my, my girls were downtown at the last minute. They showed up right before we were going to leave. So there's Grace and Barry getting a picture with Wayno. Uh, and everybody ended up happy. Uh, but it was, it was just a blessing. And I was just thinking about how, how as a church, like we, we have always been a church and want to be all in for mission. Yesterday, I, I, representing you, and I know you're all like, why couldn't I go? 
I should have called y'all. We could have all gone down there. But uh, it, it was just a reminder that this book of Acts is a reminder that God has saved his people, but he didn't save them just to be comfortable. And we, we got a, a, a slice of good stuff with doing that. But I kept thinking about being down in Charleston and the stuff that this food pantry is doing in St. Louis. Char, you know, Dean down in Charleston does the same thing. For those of you who are guests, we go down to Charleston every year and serve this guy in southeast Missouri who does this. Just being a church that loves the things that Jesus loves and, and serving the way that Jesus called us to serve, caring for the poor and that sort of thing is just always a blessing whether these guys are there or not. And so uh, I just want to, I want to share that with you so you would all be jealous just for a minute. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's not the holy part of me speaking out, but, but it, was, it was just a really cool thing to be a part of that and to be involved in that. Um, as, you, as we study Acts, the whole story is about how God saves people. About, about how God saves people and then he puts them into a community of faith and that community of faith becomes a mission outpost for the kingdom. And there is an initiation rite of baptism that is part of this. Now baptism is this beautiful thing in the New Testament in the book of Acts, but it's also one of the most like controversial issues in the larger church, okay? And so what I wanna do is I wanna make an argument for what is called believer's baptism. I believe that the book of Acts helps us understand that and really my goal this morning is if you are here and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't want you to get baptized. I want you to trust Jesus. And then we'll talk about baptism. But if you are here today and you have never followed in believer's baptism, in, in, in a, 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 a profession of faith for yourself, declaring that Christ has saved you, I want to encourage you to listen well and consider the possibility that this would be a good thing in your journey of faith. And if you're somebody who's already been baptized, this, the challenge is simple. It is our goal as a church to stir the water as often as we can, to see people come to faith in Jesus and follow by, by taking this step of declaring that publicly. We, we were, uh, the church we came from, uh, they would do baptisms. Uh, they had, you know, the traditional church baptistry uh, up behind the stage, the choirs in front of them. The pastor would slip off and, you know, uh, he would put on a robe. He had this white robe he wore, uh, which, you know, you, you might look at and say he's doing that to, to look holy. He was actually doing that to cover up the fact that he was also wearing chest waders because he's not getting wet up there, right? Because he's got to come back and preach in his, his suit. And so he's up there in a pair of waders that, he, that were hung up in, in this little room up in the baptistry, and he would put on his waders, and then he would put on a suit, and he would come down and do baptisms. And this one Sunday morning, these two brothers were getting baptized, and they were, they were a little bit rambunctious, going to be honest. Like, the, from the time they were like two and three years old, they were, they were, you know, the kids who were terrorizing the whole youth group, or kids ministry, and that kind of stuff. And so all the way through their kid, they, they were just those kids, right? And so on this one Sunday morning, uh, they were going to get baptized, and the first brother, who was the, the more, like, I, I don't remember ages, but I think he was the, the little older one, came down into the water. The other kid actually jumped from the top step and did a cannonball right in front of preacher. And, and the water just went all over him. So he's now going to preach in this suit that is drenched, okay? But then they're doing the baptisms, and he does the first baptism, comes up, and we're sitting there like there's this piece of glass you can see into the water as he's baptized in the second brother. Here's the first kid who got baptized swimming. And right as he puts his brother, like puts the brother down, the second kid goes right between the pastor's legs and pops up right next to his brother. 
And the whole church was cracking up, was having a funny time. And you, go, you can see the pastor, he was a little bit annoyed by this. But, you know, baptisms can be kind of a fun thing. They can be kind of a funny thing. But they are a beautiful thing. And they are part of the church's tradition throughout history, starting with the very first church. And so next Sunday, we get to go baptize in the Merrimack River. Um, and it's always a beautiful thing, always a fun thing. I want to talk to you about the meaning of that this morning. And to do that, I, I do want you to grab your Bible, turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter um, 10, a story that if you've been with us, we've already kind of waded through the story and talked about this beautiful story of the first Gentile believers in Jesus who came to faith in Christ. But I want to show you how the story ends and how baptism is emphasized here, and then show you how in this whole book, baptism is always, always tied to something. So, So Acts chapter 10 And I'll begin with verse 44, but let me tee up the story. You have this guy named Peter who was very Jewish, who has spent his whole life following the Jewish customs, Jewish laws that are set forth in the Old Testament. But he is also one of Jesus' disciples. He receives a vision about food that is kind of weird, where God drops this sheet in front of him that has both clean and unclean foods and says, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter goes, I've never eaten unclean foods. No way. And he keeps seeing this vision over and over again. And finally, God says, hey, listen, anything that I have made clean, don't you call it unclean. Well, right at that moment, there's a knock on his door because somebody else had a vision. A a centurion, a Roman soldier named Cornelius had a vision that called him to send some of his, his leaders to go find this guy named Peter and bring him back. For some reason, he wasn't sure, but this man was already what was called a God-fearer. He believed in the one living God of the scriptures, but he had not embraced Judaism and all of its story, uh, including circumcision, and so he had, he had not been circumcised, but he still had a faith in the God of the Bible. And so he sent his guys to go find Peter, and Peter comes back and realizes that what God, the Holy Spirit, is doing in his life is showing him that that God has a purpose and a plan for people who are not Jewish, who are Gentiles, that God's redemptive purpose, his purpose for saving people includes all people, that the gospel is for everyone. That's one of our simple declarations, that we don't care who you are. We don't care your background. We don't care your story. We don't care your struggles. You may feel like, I am not good enough. I have sinned too much. Listen, the good news is that God forgives all sin through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is for you. It is good news for you. And so so Peter goes to this house and he tells these people about Jesus. And they believe, and what God does is he sends this supernatural sign so that Peter and all the Jewish people after him will know that God has included them in his family, that God has included them in his family even though they had not been circumcised and embraced the Jewish customs and laws. And that supernatural sign is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit that began to speak in other tongues. Now, I'm not going to do a sermon on tongues. There's a whole different thing. That's a whole different ball of wax. We've talked about that in our series. But the bottom line is that this moment, it is a supernatural sign from God where the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, I've taken up residence. These people are now Christ's people. They have been redeemed. They've been rescued. Their sins have been forgiven. They have trusted in Jesus, and they have met salvation, that salvation belongs to the Lord, and now these people have embraced Christ and have encountered the saving grace of Jesus, okay? 
And that's where the story picks up, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among them, the, uh, the circumcised who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Now, just real quick, what's going on here? The circumcised are the Jewish guys, and they're watching these people believe in Jesus, and now they're speaking in tongues, and they see the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, on these Gentile people, and it's a, a forced paradigm shift. If you have spent your whole life believing that the only people who can go to heaven are people who act like you and talk like you and believe like you, which is what they believe, that somebody had to, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to go to heaven, you had to become Jewish. They are shocked when they see that God has accepted this family. He's embraced them. They are now redeemed followers of Jesus who are filled with the Spirit. Now listen, if you have trusted Christ, you, like speaking in tongues is not going to happen every time somebody believes in Jesus. But if you have trusted in Christ, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has come upon you, and you are redeemed because of the work of God in your life, opening your eyes, making your heart believe, and you are now His. And, and when you trust in Jesus, that is true. But look, look at what happens in this story. Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So watch this. It is the natural connection in this story. We see evidence. These people have been, been rescued by Jesus. They have heard the good news of what Christ did by dying on the cross for their sins. They have believed this whole household, the whole, like we're told earlier, it's not just his kinfolk. He went and found friends and said, come to my house. This guy's going to beat us. We're going to, we're going to, you know, have a hootenanny and he's going to tell us this news. And everybody in the house heard it and the Holy Spirit falls. They all believed. And the natural response for Peter and the early disciples is, if they have believed the next thing we need to do is get some water and get these people baptized. They've been baptized in the Spirit already, but there needs to be a water baptism, a baptism that takes place so that these people are, are visibly demonstrating their place in the family of God, in the community of faith. And so they baptize them. Now, the reason I want to go here and pause here is because we live in this culture where there are so many different opinions about what's going on in baptism. And so let me start by saying, if you grew up in a different tradition with a different understanding of baptism, I'm not here this morning to say that you were absolutely wrong. I'm going to walk through what I, I believe the scripture is doing with this. But hear me say this, okay? That I have very good Presbyterian friends. I have very good Lutheran friends. I have very good friends in different denominations who do baptize infants. And while I do have a functional dis a disagreement with them over what baptism is, I know that when they, that these people, when, they, when the gospel is true, when they have really trusted in Jesus, that they're authentic believers in Jesus. And I would link arms and do mission with them. So, so we talk about closed-handed, open-handed issues. For a local church, we have to figure out how we're baptizing people. But in terms of mission in the community, I'm not meeting those two guys that go, hey, tell me about how you were baptized. Well, I was baptized this way. Nope, I can't work with you. Listen, people who believe in Jesus will differ on this. Churches will differ. 
But at the end of the day, it is the gospel that saves us. It is not uh, how we were baptized or that we were baptized that saves us. That, this becomes an important distinctive in this. In fact, it is where I need to begin by explaining why did that take place? Why the difference in, why, why do some people baptize infants? Is why do some people baptize only people who believe? And there are even some churches who say, listen, you have to be baptized. That's how you're saved. And so, you know, you're, you're watching, go, brother, where art thou? Where, out, where art thou? There you go. I got that out. That movie. I was going to show the clip, and I realized there's some flowery language in the clip, so I couldn't do this. But in the, in the movie, you know, there's this moment, if you've seen it, where these two guys who have been criminals all through the story run down in the water, and because they get dunked and come out, now they've been saved. They're on a new path. That The water, like there was something magical and mystical in the water that did something to them. And one of the things we have to wrestle with that actually untangles all of the questions is what role does this baptism play in our redemption, in our salvation? In other words, do you have to be baptized to be saved, and does baptism save you? And, and, and I firmly believe that the scriptures are actually incredibly clear that the answer is that baptism is not what saves you. Baptism is what you do because you are demonstrating what God has already done in your heart. In other words, baptism is a, a going public of something that has already happened in your heart and in your life. It is making what has already transpired. You've trusted in Jesus and that baptism is a public declaration of that faith. That's exactly what happens in the book of Acts and in the New Testament. And for us to wrestle with this, what we need to do is see where baptism, what baptism is, and kind of, I want to walk you through the whole story of how baptism shows up in the Bible. Because it's not in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, it is circumcision. That is the sign of this covenant with God. But when we get to the New Testament, there's this dude who's baptizing. His name is John the Baptist. I grew up in a Baptist church. I was like, man, we had a dude in our denomination before there was anybody else, and he was Jesus' cousin. So we have to be right on this, right? You know, but, but he gets called John the Baptist because he's baptizing. But believe it or not, he's not the first one. Baptism, actually, by the time of the first century, had become something that was taking place within the Jewish faith. But it was very specific. Judaism had all kinds of like these ceremonial washings that were just pictures of the cleansing power of God's law and God's purpose in their life and of, of the um, sacrifices and all that sort of stuff. But if somebody came to Jerusalem and said, listen, I, I actually believe in the God of the, the Old Testament. I believe in the one true and living God. I am rejecting the pantheon of gods of the Greco-Roman world. I am rejecting all that worldview, and I want to become Jewish. And not just like with my beliefs, I actually want to come into your faith. I want to be part of your people. I want to identify with the Jewish faith and become Jewish. That, that what happened is they would set up a series of rituals. The first ritual, for, if, if, uh, if the person was a male, would include circumcision. It also included some sacrifices that they would have to make, and then it would end by a, a baptism. They would take the person down and do a baptism, and the baptism was, was making public this rejection of their old way of life and the old gods and the, and, and the different idols that they worshiped, and, and the embracing, the public embracing that I am now not just Jewish in my thought, I am a Jew. I was a Gentile, but now these are my people. This is my tribe. 
these are my beliefs. I adhere to the law. I have bound myself to it. It was a public declaration. So this is already going, but only with people who are not Jewish to become Jewish. Well, then this guy named John goes out to the Jordan River, and he's kind of a crazy guy, you know, crazy prophet guy, kind of got that nervous eye twitch. He's eating locusts and wild honey and, and, and wearing, like, bear skins, like, like animal skins, and he's kind of eccentric. But he starts preaching. And this guy named John, his preaching, we call him John the Baptist because he is baptizing while he's preaching, but his preaching is simple. Here's what his message was. I am not the guy but he is really near. See, see, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people have been waiting for over a thousand years for this promised Messiah to come. And, and the Old Testament predicted, prophesied that there would be a forerunner, somebody who would come before the coming of Jesus who would make his way straight. And this is who John was, biblically. He is standing up going, hey, listen, we as a nation have to get right with our God. We have to turn from our sin. We have to turn from our idols because the one who's been promised, who we've been waiting for a thousand years to show up, he is alive. He is walking among us. He is here. We must repent and be ready for when he shows up. And so he goes down the Jordan River, people show up, and he starts baptizing Jewish people. It is a scandal. Uh, There are writings uh, from the first century that talk about the scandalous nature, but John the Baptist gathers thousands and thousands of people at the Jordan River who go down in the river and are baptized as a declaration that they as Jewish people are making sure they are right with God, they're rejecting their sin, their brokenness, they're repenting, to be ready for the coming of the king. Well, then one day, here comes Jesus. And John's message over and over again is, not me, there's somebody else coming. Not me, there's somebody else coming. He's got a crew of disciples who are following him, and his message to them is that when this guy shows up, I'm bugging out, you need to follow that guy. Whenever he comes, please don't, don't, don't tie yourself to me. He's the one you're looking for. This is his message. And one day, Jesus crests the hill, coming to the Jordan River, and John looks at him and goes, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is. And Jesus comes down to the river and does something that is insane. He looks at John and says, I need you to baptize me. And John goes, whoa, wait a minute. You got this backwards, bro. You should be baptizing me. Jesus makes this really bizarre statement. He says, you must do this, and it must be done to fulfill all righteousness. Kind of a weird biblical phrase, but here's what Jesus is saying. That God and his redemptive purpose had a whole list of things that Jesus must do to fulfill everything that God desired for the Messiah to be. It included living a perfect sinful life and never violating the law. But baptism becomes part of it because by being baptized, Jesus is setting the way to say to all of his followers, when you follow me, here's step one. Here's step one. If you want to be like Jesus, the first thing you do is you trust in Christ, and when he's changing, you step into the water just like me. And so John baptizes him, and what happens is that this is a going public in Jesus' ministry. Hear this. It is, this is so important to understand the whole story. It is a going public in Jesus' ministry because up until this point, from his birth, and there's angels and, and wise men, but from his birth until around the age of 30, Jesus lived a quiet, normal life of a Jewish, Jewish Galilean peasant. He was a carpenter. He swung a hammer and worked in his dad's shop. 
But at age 30, he comes here, and when he is baptized, the first person who outs him is John the Baptist, who says, there he is. The second person who outs him and says, says, here is the one you were looking for, is God the Father, who speaks audibly from heaven and says, this is my son, with whom I well please, follow him. And, and effectively, in many ways, the ministry of John the Baptist was over, and the ministry of Jesus begins. But it is a public like, there's a public thing here. Jesus went public with his mission and his purpose. Well, then Jesus teaches and preaches for many, many years, and at the end of his ministry, he gets his disciples after he died and rose again, making sense, like now they're trying to make sense of this world where their Savior died on a cross for them and now has risen again, and he gives them this amazing commission. He says, here's the deal. I've been spending the last three years with you, pouring myself and making you disciples. I called you to be my followers. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Matthew 28, uh, 18, 20, he says, go and make disciples. In other words, you were to, to reproduce what I did in your life, make disciples, call people to repent and trust in Jesus and become followers. Have them go all in and believe in Jesus and follow him, give their lives to him, and, and, and they will experience redemption and salvation as they do that. Christ will redeem them and God will save them, and they will become followers of Christ. And as they follow, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And Jesus says, I will be with you always. So here's Jesus saying, here's the commission. Go reach people with the gospel. They will believe and you baptize them. It becomes very important in the commission of Jesus. So here's what happens in the book of Acts. As we start opening Acts, here's what we see over and over and over again. What we see is that these disciples take that commission very seriously they preach Christ. When they preach Christ and make much of Jesus, people come to believe in Jesus and are miraculously saved and rescued and redeemed, forgiven of their sin, made part of the family of God, all that sort of thing. And the very next thing that happens is that those people, like the, the, the Acts is very careful, and it's Luke who wrote this book, is very careful in his storytelling to say, next step, they're in the water. Next step, they're in the water. Next step, they're in the water. Let, let's look at this. In Acts chapter 2, we see the story of, of Peter preaching to the first crowd. This is the day of Pentecost. We talked about this being the birthday of the church. And 3,000 people come to believe in Jesus. In Acts 2, verses 37 through 39, at the end of Peter's sermon, it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, and everyone on whom the Lord calls to himself. So those who received his word... Do you see this? Those who received his word were baptized. What do they do? They believe in the gospel, and they demonstrate it by getting in the water. We're baptized. And, and the Lord added about 3,000 souls, added that day about 3,000 souls. So the question we have to ask as we wrestle with this is, did baptism save them, or is that baptism a sign of what had already happened? If you read the verse 38, it sounds like Peter's saying, repent and be baptized. That's how you're saved. But if you wrestle with that along with all the other verses, this is the only time it shows up like that. And I think Peter is connecting 
the gospel to baptism very closely, but not in a way that's saying that baptism, you must be baptized in order to save you. In other words, the question is, is there something magic in the water, or is the water just a symbol of something magic that has already happened in the heart? Do, do you get what I'm saying here? Is there something magic in the water, or is there something magic that has already happened in the heart of the person that makes the water beautiful? And, and it is at this point where every other idea of baptism, like anywhere you go, what, what has happened, especially if, if you grew up Catholic, and I'm not here, like if you grew up Catholic, I, I'm not saying, like I, I told you, we would link arms with people who believe in Jesus. But in a very real way, the Catholic Church has told people that they are saved because they are baptized. But they baptized infants who had nothing to do with that decision, that wrestling with this. It is not belief and then baptism. It is baptism and then hopefully someday you'll believe. There are other churches that are out here who actually baptize people who are adults and, and young people. They don't baptize babies, but they tell them that the way that they are saved is by being baptized. And so baptism, there's something magic in the water. By getting in the water, this is how God saves you. And I will tell you that I, I don't think that is true, and I think that every error in baptism starts with where you put baptism in the equation of your redemption. Is it something that you must do so that God will save you, or is it something that you should do because God already has saved you? Do you get the distinction here? And, and, and what we see is in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, it says, you know, those who received the word were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, we see all uh, uh, these people who are Samaritans. Again, different ethnic group come to faith in Jesus. And we see that they, uh, they believe and they are baptized. Later in Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 38, we see the story of this Ethiopian man who uh, is, has opened the scroll of Isaiah, read it, and as he's been reading it, uh, th this man named Philip has been explaining the, the sacrifice of Jesus to him, verse 36 through 38. And when they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. In other words, this eunuch had come to believe, and he goes, listen, next step, I now believe in Jesus. I know who he is. I've trusted him. Next step, I need to be baptized. We go on to Acts chapter 9. We have the story of Paul, this man also known as Saul, who has this miraculous encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in Acts chapter 9, near the end of the story, we were told that this man named Ananias baptizes Paul, who has already believed in Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, we'll get to this later, but there's this beautiful story of this um, woman named Lydia uh, in the city of Philippi. And verses 14 and 15 of Acts 16 tell us, one who heard from us, meaning from Paul and his uh, the, the gospel message was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, and who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Do you see that? There's the statement. She believed. And after she was baptized, after that she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me, be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so, so we, again, we see this rhythm of they believe, they are baptized. Acts 16, verses 30 through 33. Miraculous story of God opening a jail cell and then, then through the ministry of Paul and Silas, saving, redeeming the, the Philippian jailer and his family. And we're told in those verses, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, now hear this, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them, some, took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Do, are you seeing this rhythm that is an Acts? That first of all, when people are rescued by Jesus in the gospel, baptism is important but it is a demonstration of their faith, not the exercising of their faith. That baptism is not what saves them. Last, last verse from Acts here, uh, Acts 18.8, in the book of, of Corinth, the city of Corinth, this crazy city in the New Testament story that we're gonna get there. Uh, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, this Jewish man believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So we see the importance of baptism, but what we see is a rhythm, and a very important rhythm. People believe, and then they're baptized. That baptism in the scriptures is not here to save us. It is here to be a sign and a seal of what the Lord has already done. And so you may come from different traditions on this and different backgrounds, but I just thought, man, it'd be good to pause and have a conversation about what, why baptism is important. For those of you who've already been baptized, just remember all that went on with this. But for those of you who haven't, consider this. And step one is not to get baptized. Listen, there's nothing magic in the Merrimack River next week. The water is river water. We will not be drinking it. We probably will not be swimming in it, although it could be fun. And, and, and if somebody comes to that river who doesn't know Jesus and we baptize them, you know what they get in that baptism? They get wet, period. The water is not magic. But we have a Savior who miraculously redeems people and gave us baptism as our coming out, our, our, our demonstration, our going public of what has happened on the inside already. That's what baptism is, going public. It's what Jesus did, and it's what's happening in every text. And so let me just give you four reasons why, why this whole baptism thing is a good idea, why it's important. Four quick reasons why, why you should consider it if you haven't, you should celebrate it if you have, and you should have as your goal to see as many people baptized when they believe in Jesus as we possibly can. And here's the first thing, it's personal. It's personal. Baptism is for an individual. Uh, it is for a, an individual person to stand up and say, listen, I had an old way of living life. I had old idols. I had a whole way of following myself. I lived for my dreams, my wants, my wishes. But I've come to realize that Jesus is the real deal. And my life is all in with him. It is a personal declaration of your faith in Jesus. It is a personal line in the sand that says, this is me identifying myself and living in obedience to Jesus and no longer forming my own identity and obeying only my wishes and dreams. That's what baptism, it's the first step of obedience, of following where you are declaring your allegiance to Christ. Uh, if you're a sports fan, one of the things that you look for every year is what is called, uh, especially if you're a college sports fan, you, you enjoy watching stuff on what is called National Signing Day, okay? And National Signing Day is the day of the year where high school seniors 
have the ability to sign their what is called letter of intent to declare the college they're going to. And a lot of students will, will wait till that day to determine where they're going to go play college football. What they do is they'll sit at a table and often they will put their hats from three or four different schools. So you'll see somebody sitting at a table. They'll have a hat from University of Alabama. And they'll have a hat from University of Florida. They'll have a hat from hopefully Mizzou if they're really good, right? Hat from University of Illinois, and they'll sit there with these hats on the table, and then they'll have a press conference with the guys who are really good. Now, when they're athletes like I was, nobody cared. But for these really good athletes, they, they will get up there, and, they will have a, and they'll have media there, and they'll be paying attention. What he'll do is he'll sit there for a second, and then in a moment, he will reach out, he will grab one of the hats, and he will put it on his head. And what is he saying? He is not just looking at you going, I like the color of this hat. It's cute. It looks good on I me. Mean, it matches my jeans. They're saying there's a program, there's a coach, there's a whole system, a whole way of doing football, a whole way of doing basketball. And what I'm doing is I'm becoming a, if the Lord is gracious to them, a Missouri Tiger. And, and it's more than just like saying, I'm going to root for them. I am becoming my allegiance, my whole thing. This is what baptism, it is, it is National Signing Day. It is my way of declaring. Now, that kid better have decided before he's sitting there where he's going, but nobody else may know. But what happens in our baptism is we are actually declaring. It is a personal decision. You as an individual declaring for yourself to the world that you have trusted in Jesus. I love in verse 47 of the text we read, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. In other words, they have already received the Holy Spirit. They are rescued and redeemed. Next step is they need to make that public. Let's get them baptized. Let's have them follow Jesus and make this personal response. Now, like I said, we, we would link arms with churches who disagree with this. But we, we also look at people who come to Genesis and go, we really want you to consider this because this really matters. And, and so, in a very real way, the, the Bible talks about this idea of covenants, this, these relationships, the way God forms relationships with people. Baptism is the sign of the new covenant, the covenant where you are trusting in Christ as the Messiah. It is the way we identify with that, and it is a personal response. It is an individual. We like we do baptisms with a group of people, but every once in a while you'll hear in history where somebody at the end of a sword did a forced conversion and mass baptism, and that is awful, and that is not Christ. But it is a personal response. You responding by trusting in Jesus first, but then by demonstrating that with your baptism, right? So that's what baptism is. personal. Second, it's public. It is the public declaration of faith for an individual. It is a public response of, of making Christ known and declaring this. I told you, this is what Jesus was doing. Jesus literally went public with his identity at his baptism. It's why it is so important in the New Testament. It is the moment that John the Baptist and God the Father went, there's your Messiah. And what happens in our baptism is this is a moment for all of us to stand up and say, we know that Jesus is Messiah, and I am making public the fact that I have trusted in him, right? And that becomes key in the understanding of baptism, that it is public. The third thing I'll tell you is that it paints a picture. So it's personal, it's you. It is public declaring that, that you are Christ. And third, the beauty of the, pi the picture that is being painted. That is why baptism becomes so vital in this and why immersion is important. So what happens as you read the New Testament, 
um, you come to the word baptism. In the New Testament, uh, when, when scholars have translated parts of the Bible, okay, so the New Testament is actually written in this language that is ancient Greek. The, the language of the ancient Greek Empire. All of the New Testament was originally penned in Greek. And so you have this Greek, uh, this Greek uh, text, and when people are translating the, the Bible into English, they have to make a decision. And the decision is, what am I going to do with each word? So you come, a, a Greek translator will open the Bible, the Greek New Testament, and come to the word theos, but they want to put the Bible in English for us. So when they come to the Greek word theos, okay, what they will do is they will insert the, new, the, the English word God into the text. When they come to the word agape, there's a word a lot of you have heard. And if, if, if they come to, a translator comes to the word agape in a Greek New Testament, they are translated into English, what will they do with that word? What's the translation? Love. They will write the word love. Because agape is one of the words for love. And so they're, they're translating from English into Greek by translating a word from Greek and, and giving you the equivalent English word. But there are some words that when they come to, they choose not to translate it. Here's the big word for the day. They choose to transliterate it. Don't you feel more edified this morning? You heard the word transliterate. Transliterate is when you go to any language, and rather than finding the equivalent word in your language, you just take that word and make it a word in your language. Okay? So when they come to the word baptize, baptizo, hear it? They do not, the translators don't take that word most of the time. There are actually a few times they translate it as washed or cleansed. But most of the time, the word baptizo, they use that word and they translate it as baptize. And, and there's some reasons they did this that are tied to early churches that started, you know, in the, about 200 years after the time of Jesus, the beginning of, of, of uh, infant baptism and some of that stuff. But, but the word baptizo is translated Baptized. So every passage I just read has that Greek word. Instead of translate, they transliterated it. Why would they do that? Well, the word baptize in its basic sense just is a Greek word that means to dip or submerge. In fact, the oldest use that we, meaning humanity, have of the word baptizo in any ancient literature is, believe it or not, a recipe for making pickles. There's a recipe for pickles that was found in an archaeological dig in the Middle East that talked about the fact that you take the cucumber and you baptizo it in boiling water first, and then you baptizo it in vinegar, and that is how you have a pickle. Now, that does not mean we dip the end and hope that we got a pickle, right? There's a submersion, and that's the idea. And, and the reason is because this whole idea of immersion is painting a picture. Now, early in church history, there's actually a document that said what you need to do. Uh, it's called the Didache, and it, it, it's written about f uh, 70 years after Jesus, and it was kind of giving us the teaching of the early church fathers. And what they said is you need to find running water, and we want it to be cold because if people are getting baptized, they need to do something for Jesus, and it needs to be hard. So cold water. But if it's not cold water, find warm water. That's okay, but we want running water. Well, if you can't find running water, it's okay to find stagnant water. Find a lake. Find, find a pool, find a pond. If you can't find a pool, pool or pond, find anything that you can baptize them. If you come to the point where there is no water, at that point you are welcome to pour on them. So that's the first reference to pouring, but notice it's, if you can't find any, if there's a drought, there's no water anywhere, 
But let's start with cold water that's running, right? But you take them down in the water and you baptize them. And, and the reason this is so important is because what is happening is there's a picture being painted of the gospel. This is why Jesus gave us this, this initiation rite. It's because when somebody walks into the river next week and we put them in the water and we pull them up, there is a beautiful picture of somebody who was alive at one moment. They were dead and buried the next moment and they rose again after that death, burial, resurrection. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Romans. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, <coughs> pardon me, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you see how he wrapped baptism there as a picture of the gospel? He says we were we were buried with Christ in baptism of his death. We died too. And we were raised to life, uh, to new life in Christ. That the baptismal event paints this beautiful picture of the simple message of the gospel. It is for the person being baptized a reminder of how they gain their, their deliverance, their, their acceptance into the kingdom, their love of the Father and being forgiven of sin was through Jesus Christ. But it is also letting family members and friends and everybody else see the picture of what Jesus did for them and this, their story. Because if you were here today, this is your story. The old you died and was buried with Christ and the new you is alive in Christ because he's risen again. I'm going to say that again because that's one of the moments where, not because of me, but because of truth, I should have got an amen from somebody. If you were a follower of Jesus, this is what's happened to you. The old you died, was buried with Christ, and a new you was raised in newness of life. Amen. Right? And baptism is just a picture of that. That's why it's important to do immersion. There, there's a picture being painted for the world to see. And so if you're being baptized, invite everybody. Invite your friends and family. Get them here next week so we can paint this picture and show them what this is all about. And so, so it's personal. It's public. It, it paints a picture. Last thing is it's a party. It's a party. This is a celebration for the church. And there's a big reason it's a celebration. Because what's happening is somebody's identifying with Christ, but they're identifying with something else too. Um, for those of you who didn't know it, last Sunday was a pretty special day in the Hubbard household. We had a wedding. My daughter uh, is now a Warfield. <laughs> she is Alex Warfield because she married Cameron Warfield, and she's now a Warfield. She got married last week, okay? And so we had the ceremony where they came together, and one of their pastors, I got to walk her down the aisle, and I was a hot mess, okay? It was amazing and awful at the same time. I lost it in the rehearsal. I mean, it was, it was like, like, I grabbed her by the arm, she grabbed me by the arm in the rehearsal, and I was like, ooh! <laughs> and then the groom looked at me, he was like, man, you can't do that to me. I'm like, hey, man, there's no hope. I'm just letting you know. It is not going to go well, all right? So, so, you know, I walk her down the aisle, and they stand before this amazing godly guy who's their pastor right now, and, and he, he had them recite vows, which is the moment where they said, you, I am all in. You are mine, I am yours. And the vow is what actually is the declaration of, like, we're married. 
of all the other men, all the other women in the world, you are the one that I am lining my life up with and I am giving myself to. And then what they did is they took rings. And in our wedding last week, the rings was kind of funny because his brother, who was the best man, dropped them. So now the rings are running everywhere. He's got this big look. Cameron's just looking at his brother like, dude, really? Seriously? But they picked up the rings and then they put a ring on. Now, even in a wedding ceremony, this is important. The vows happen before the rings. The ring is a sign and a seal of the vow. The ring doesn't make them married. The ring is something I wear to prove that I'm married. That is what baptism is. And then what happens at the end of this is they have declared their love for each other and we started a party. And I'm just letting you know, there's never been a wedding with a better party than the one we had last Sunday. It was, if you're not aware, there's an African-American family and a white family joining together. There was one slow song played the whole time. It was the song I danced with my daughter to. Every other song, like I was like, I'm going to dance with my wife. They never played a song. It was a party. Why? Because I don't care what their last names are. That boy is a Hubbard now. He is included in my family. And she's a Warfield forever. He's family now, right? You get it? Why is it a party? Because what happens in baptism is I am identifying with Christ, but I am joining his family. I'm baptized into Christ and into his church, and the whole church goes, woo, we got new kinfolk, we got new family, we got new brothers and sisters. It's a party. It should just look just like a good wedding party, right? I got, I got frustrated with churches where we do the baptism, and unless some kid did a cannonball, the whole response of the church to baptism is, well, that was nice, let's get on with it. Harumph, you know, that was it. We got to be cheered. Like, it's beautiful because we are seeing a person declare their faith in Jesus and their trust in him, and they're, they're aligning themselves with the people of God. They are in the church family now when they go through baptism. So next week we're doing it, right? It's going to be fun. Well, what about you? Have you been baptized? Have you tr- First of all, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? If you haven't, we would love to have a conversation with you. At the end of service, we'll have somebody over here, or you can catch me over here, and let's just have a conversation about what it means to trust in Jesus. If you have trust in Jesus, you've never been baptized. Guess what? We can get you in. <laughs> we can get you in next week, okay? And, and there's just like, I don't know, in my imagination, I feel like we're down at the Jordan when we're down there in the Merrimack. It's just awesome. But, but come have a conversation with us about what that would look like. And if you are a follower of Jesus already, it is our commission and goal to see those waters stirred as much as possible, to see new people believe in Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. The band's coming up here. We're going to sing and celebrate Jesus. If you're here today and you want to trust in Jesus, come find us at the end of the service. If you are here today and, and you want to wrestle with what that story is, come, come have a conversation with us. If you're ready to be baptized or you want to talk about that, come catch myself, any of our elders, or come catch the people who are going to be down here behind these speakers at the end of the service. Let's have a conversation. But we're going to celebrate Jesus because remember, baptism is just water. It is Jesus who saves us, and we celebrate him One of the ways we do that is by baptism, but another way is just by singing and lifting our voices to the one who saves and redeems, right? And so I'm going to pray, get off the stage, invite you to stand and sing and celebrate Jesus together with us.
in the next few minutes because he is the one who saves. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask for your grace and mercy here and just pray that you would work and move. Anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord, open their heart just like you did Cornelius family to believe and, and, and trust in you. And Lord, for those of us here who maybe haven't stepped through that, that path of obedience, lead us to do that today. And I, I praise you for the people who already are excited about next Sunday and pray that it will be a blessing, that even this week as they prepare for it, it will be a blessing. In your name I pray, amen.